0: Hey guys, uh, just wanted to take a second today to remind you that our Seek Outside, Believe It or Not, blog writing contest only has a few weeks left, Uh, so if you have an entry that you've just been sitting on and you're not sure whether to submit it or not, make sure you do it now. Um, We've been receiving all sorts of great entries, lots of bear stories, we're getting some freaky like Halloween themed creepy stories, getting some hilarious stories, Uh, you guys are all killing it, I'm loving the entries. But, I just wanted to let you know, if you want your chance at the free Silex, make sure to enter uh, before November 30th, uh, because in December we're going to be doing a live episode um, where we're going to be announcing the winner, reading their entry, uh, and doing some judging and stuff like that. So, be sure uh, to submit your entry to podcast at seekoutside.com, or if you wanted to, you could DM us on Instagram, you can uh, send it to info at seekoutside.com dot uh, com, um, but that uh, podcast at seekoutside.com is going to be the quickest way to enter that. Uh, just with the heading, believe it or not, Seek Outside Blog Contest, um, and we'll take a look and, and give you your fair shot at winning a free Silex. All right, guys, enjoy the episode.
1: Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Outside podcast. Yeah, there's, there's
0: no question.
2: David Lean.
0: And you were the uh, head chapter leader of Colorado VHA? Clay Hayes. Uh,
2: well, I got stalked by a mountain
1: lion, uh, made a fishing pole out of a uh, lodge old pine. Falconry and bird dogs, can they coexist? Oh man, and do they. Shitty weather and lots of bears. That's what this podcast is about. You made a point when you get up in those high basins and the thunderstorms come rolling in. That's how I got into trail running.
0: Some people are just wired. Well, um, yeah, let's just get going. Uh, For those who haven't uh, recognized the voice already, we got Giannis Putelis on the Seek Outside podcast today, uh, as well as Kevin Tim and uh, I think we're just going to try to shoot the bull, and um, Giannis, you just got back from a Colorado bighorn sheep hunt that looked like it was successful. How how was that, man? Oh,
2: uh, it was fantastic. It was a uh, trip of a lifetime, um, adventure of a lifetime. I, honestly, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I, c- I can break down the whole, th- whole thing, but I-, I would yak on for 30 minutes uh, if I went from the beginning right to the end, but uh, yeah man. um just in general, just like just such a grand adventure and i'm I'm so fortunate to have done it like at an age where uh you know my age didn't really limit me, you know, I was able to be in shape and kind of tackle the hills and didn't have to like take days off and could uh you know hammer away and uh we were blessed with super nice weather. it was like highs in the low seventies. Lows and like at 40, so uh, I didn't even have to use a tent most of the time or even a tarp. I always slept under the stars, you know, even at 12,000 feet, which, you know, you don't get to do that too often. Anybody that's spent a bunch of time in Colorado knows that uh, usually when the clouds start building, you know, you start looking for cover. And uh, it was nice not to have to think about that at all, you know.
1: Yeah, it's super sweet being able to uh, sleep under the stars at
2: that uh, elevation doesn't happen often yeah but but, uh yeah ryan like i said i don't know how much detail you want me to go into but uh let me know if you have any specific questions about the hunt
0: yeah i mean i i would love a little breakdown it looked like uh so you guys you came out and it looked like it was was it just you and one photographer that went out there
2: uh that was that charlie williams was the photographer and he and i uh, I think we did probably roughly eight or nine days together, and then pretty much on our second like major reset, um, going back in, uh, just you know needed more food. We picked up another buddy of mine who actually had the tag last year, um, and he had been helping me and sort of you know give, giving me kind of direction on where to start looking. And uh, so it was great to have another set of eyes, and then especially a set of eyes that had looked over the same country. And he came in with us, I think for four nights, which brought us to like day 13. And then, uh, he actually left on day 13 and then I killed, I think on the day, on the 14th day of the hunt. So he came right back the next day to help pack out.
1: (laughs) So is this filmed for your YouTube channel?
2: You know, we didn't film, film it, Kevin. It was, uh, all wilderness, um, where the tag Mm -hmm. was. And so, um, we, uh we could have pushed it and tried to get, get a, you know, wilderness film permit, but you know, selfishly, um, I, I was happy just to, you know, go with the smaller crew and, and just go and enjoy the hunt. And we still got a, you know, whole bunch of great still photography assets out of the deal. And then, you know, I ran my phone as much as I could and, um, have been, uh, you know, putting those videos on my Instagram stories. So, uh you get a pretty good idea a feel for what the hunt was like by by watching those. I tried to check in at least once a day, sometimes twice a day on what was going on and what we were seeing. So um no, unfortunately it won't be an episode um and you know, largely due to the fact that it was wilderness and uh and uh also due to the fact that I just wanted to go hunting.
1: <laughs> so so this was more of a personal hunt
2: than than anything. Uh you know, yeah, I mean, we, there was a photographer there working with me the whole time. I mean, we had a great time together, but obviously, we, we did some we did some work related stuff, and um, obviously, my Instagram account too is a uh, is very work related, even though it's my personal account. But being that it was such, that's something I've been talking a lot to people about is how it, it there's such a high pressure hunt um it's you know knowing that it's once in a lifetime more than likely you're not going to draw a bighorn sheep tag again you know um if you have a bunch of money you can buy yourself bighorn sheep hunt um you could put in for you know a bunch of raffles but you know none of that stuff really that doesn't guarantee you even doing the raffles doing applying for every state that's possible collecting as many points as you can like none of that stuff really guarantees you another tag and so trying to you know let that sink in and really understand it um it's it's twofold because the pressure the more you understand the more pressure you know the more you sort of accept it that it's once a lifetime the more pressure you start to feel from it and i gotta say once i killed the ram i definitely felt the relief of not being a sheep tag holder anymore and just being like another elk hunter you know because uh yeah, you're, you know, you get a lot of advice over the course of the summer of, you know, make sure you shoot the right ram and the ram you're going to be happy with and, but don't shoot it too early because, you know, you want to make sure you get to experience, you know, the, the sheep hunt itself and all that stuff's going through your mind. And then you haven't seen a sheep for three days and you're like, well, I might not even get to kill one or see one or shoot one. So,
0: um,
2: it's just, it's a lot of pressure, um, And so, uh, yeah, as much as it was a personal hunt, I I did just, I did just want to be able to enjoy it for what it was, you know? And
1: then you probably don't want to push it too much. Like I'm shooting one this big or I'm going home with tag soup.
2: Yeah. Yeah, totally. There this unit that I hunted had limited amount of sheep in it. Like probably the biologist estimates 80 to a hundred sheep. And if you do the math, you come out with, you know, roughly 25 legal rams, which in Colorado, is, it's only got to be a half curl. Uh, and out of those 25, you probably got half of them that are sort of in a, you know, seven or, you know, years or older. And And then you cut that in half and you got three or four rams that are like nine years or older. And really, I think I probably saw most of the bigger rams. I saw one that was probably an eleven year old and he was just he was a hog. My goal going in was to shoot a mature one and i and I said like eight or nine years, I'd be really happy and um Of course, I see like this one that's eleven, and so I definitely had tunnel vision on him for a while. Um, I actually thought I maybe shot him when I shot my ram because I just I found a nice ram. It happened kind of quick and um You know i didn't know i just knew that i had you know i'd shot a mature one but uh, i didn't know if it was like the one we've been looking for ended up not being him but uh still ended up being a a super great ram and and again it's like when you step back and take a look at it it's like none of that stuff should really matter because it's like man you got to go and experience it and just be a sheep hunter and be so lucky to even have that dang tag in your pocket um And and just be there, you know, experiencing it all and uh, and dealing with the pressure, like I just said.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, How long did you put in for that for that tag there? Without giving away too much, I know people probably. No, that's all right. No, no, no. No. I mean, I haven't, I (laughs) haven't been,
2: I haven't been sure. No, I haven't been talking about the unit just to kind of, you know. There's no reason anybody should go and apply for a unit just because I uh, hunted there, you know, or or I had a good hunt there. Uh, It's that unit, if you did find out which unit I was in, it's known as one of Colorado's harder ones because of the lack of big numbers of sheep. Um, And uh, you're going to work your tail off, you know, going in after that hunt. I mean, we had uh, super long approaches, you know, just to get into sheep country. It was a minimum of you know, six, seven miles. Um, at times we were 15, 16 miles from the truck. Uh, you kill one there, it's going to take two days, you know, to get it out. Um, so yeah, n- not a unit that, uh, like most sheep people would recommend just cause it's, it's, uh, it's going to take a lot of work, but it took me 10 years to draw Ryan, which, uh, which was a lot sooner, especially as a non-resident than I thought I was going to, than I thought I was going to take me. Cause, uh, I don't know. You just hear of everybody waiting 20 plus years to draw their bighorn tag. Um, Kevin, how long you've been applying? Um,
1: I made the mistake of being Uh-oh. sporadic in my application for a bit. Um, and bouncing between desert bighorn and, uh, Rocky mountain bighorn. And then I realized after a while that those, the desert, I don't believe was counting points. Uh, that's because right. that's, and I was like, "Oh crap! So now I've been just on doing the Rocky Mountain. I've probably got seven points or something like mm. that um and before I had done the desert and the Rocky Mountain, it had been kind of like how my season or you know when I was working a job that I didn't have as much flexibility as I do now, it was more based on when can I get off or whatever, and so it
2: was. And so that screwed me out of some points. So, yeah, well, you know, so Kevin's got seven points, but you hear a lot about people having 20, 30, been applying for 40 years, you know, and haven't drawn their bighorn tag. So I I felt like I beat the odds for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, um, I was just watching you on TV. The new meat eater stuff just dropped, right? You're hunting Mm -hmm. squirrel. Is there any species you won't hunt?
2: <laughs> I don't. I haven't come across it yet. <laughs> <laughs> there are species that I haven't hunted yet, and sometimes, surprisingly, when I tell people I haven't shot a, a uh, wild pig yet, they're like, "No way!" Um, really? So that's something I, I really want to go and do, and you know, the, the opportunities abound for for wild hogs and uh yeah just like I've been with Steve a bunch when we've shot uh pigs but uh I've never uh never myself pulled the trigger and uh so now that I have a little bit more time and a little bit more um flexibility to choose you know what I'm going to go hunt it's definitely I'm I'm thinking about making it down to Texas with my bow and arrow this uh this winter to hunt hunt a pig but uh nice. yeah I don't know uh I don't think, like I said, there's nothing's come across. I can tell you a species that I'm like not real interested in hunting again, even though I haven't personally killed one yet, but is a moose. Like I put in for Shiras because, you know, I have points in Colorado and I have points in Montana, Mm -hmm. but like I've been on three Alaskan moose hunts and man, that hunt just doesn't like, you know, pull my heart and, and doesn't speak to me. Like you do a lot of sitting around a lot of, like, just slow days um, for, you know, whatever it might be. It might be 30 minutes of action. It might be 30 seconds of action. And then you knock it down, and you've got basically a horse to butcher. And so you got two days of hard work, you know, there. And, um, yeah, like that hunt, if, if I'll gladly go again, but I don't feel like I need to go and shoot a moose for any reason.
1: That's funny. I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I put in for moose here in Colorado. Because it seems to be less daunting. Um, but moose in Alaska, um, you know, I just went on a caribou hunt up there. And one of the guys who was on the caribou hunt with me, he was he was like... Him and his buddy had been planning a moose hunt for years. And he was like, texted his buddy, you know, or used the Delorme. And was like, screw the moose hunting. This uh, caribou hunting is fun. So...
2: Yeah, I mean, you're seeing critters every day and, um, you know, opportunities or, you know, you get one probably every hour.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, thing, the thing with the moose, or at least according to the air service I used, which I think is the same air service you guys use, is that mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of sitting around camp. It can be pretty boring. Some people mm-hmm. get aggressive and go out and find one, but mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm uh, willing to pack one of those um very far i mean i think that for it to be interesting for me it would have to be something that i could deploy like a pack raft or something like that on um to try to make it so you can broaden your area instead of just sitting at camp you know calling sitting there you know like no moose Mm
2: so I know. I mean, they have high success doing, doing that method. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, to me, it's just not an enjoyable hunt, especially when you can go do what you just did where, you know, you could possibly see hundreds, if not thousands of animals in a day, have opportunities all day long and just Mm -hmm. get to witness one of, you know, or the only like, you know, major big migration like that on our whole continent.
1: Oh, yeah the caribou was awesome. Yeah. we probably saw three four hundred caribou a day, you know on average oh, and yeah, yeah. so that they were usually on just about every hillside. you know sometimes we were kind of socked in and it was a little hard to uh to glass for them but uh, other times it was it was awesome it was It was a lot of fun and delicious table fare
0: oh yeah that to me do you, that caribou do you meat, mean so Oh, it's so lean. And and for us, like, because I went on a caribou hunt as well, we went up North Brooks Range and we were able to get our animals with a couple days to spare and let the meat cool for like two days. And we got some snow. There weren't too many bugs. And man, it is probably the most tender meat that I've. I mean, like, even just like rear round steaks or whatever, which are on an elk or something. It's not the most tender it's not like a backstrap or anything like that but on the caribou it's like you cut that thing with a fork it's insane yeah it's some of the best meat i've ever had yeah um Giannis. so just kind of relating to what you wouldn't hunt is there any species that uh if you had to pick one for the rest of your life would you would there be any one specific species that you would always hunt
2: um well, if you're gonna give me a buy me a bighorn sheep tag every year, then I'd hunt that every year <laughs> 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 but out of the things that that are act, that we actually can hunt um man, it's hard to rank. I would say that definitely my top three is probably and this is just stuff that like I have a fair amount of experience with, and I like doing it, and I'm probably gonna do it every year until I can't anymore, but, um, you know, archery elk during the rut, um, white deer with a bow during the rut back in the Midwest, um, hunting like, you know, oak covered ridges and then, uh, hunting the wild Turkey wherever, you know, all over the United States. But th- those are probably my top three that I, I really love to do. And, and, are, and, my, and, and I'm carving out time to do every year now, um, you know, it's just a good, all three of them, I think have a great balance for me of, um, like success yet plenty of failure, you know, all, all three of those things keep me humble. They, they keep me, uh, trying to stick, keep my butt in shape. Not that you need it that much for sitting in trees in the Midwest, but, um, at least for the elk you do. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's, you know, Alaskan adventures. Yeah. I'd like to do one or two of those, or let's say one a year, one every other year. But, um, you know, without just none of those Alaskan adventures, I've just done enough that they're, you know, really just speak to me and are just inside of me as much as those other three, other three, you know, again, yeah. Would I love to go doll sheep hunting every August? Of course. But, uh, that right now is, you know, unreachable.
1: They're starting to not be the, uh, hunt of a lifetime, right? The once in a lifetime hunt on the Alaskan stuff. What do you mean? Well, well, I mean, it's like you've done so many of those hunts in Alaska. Oh,
2: oh, oh.
1: That it's like, yeah, well, no, caribou. I mean,
2: yeah, I've done a few, you know, I mean, we've, we've definitely been up there a few times. I've done a couple caribou hunts, killed one myself, um, I'd love to, I want to go back and, and hunt caribou with a bow. I mean, that's definitely like bucket list for me. Um, but again, if you're putting a gun to my head and making me choose, it's going to be one of those, it's either going to be archery elk or, you know, turkeys, really. I'd probably put the white-tailed deer as number three. Um, cause I love calling too. You know, I love talking to the animals and, and trying to call them in and, and you get a lot of that with both elk and turkeys.
1: I'm surprised you didn't, uh, put cow's deer in there
2: somewhere. Oh yeah. You know, it's up there, but, uh, again, maybe just cause I didn't, I've just got less experience with it. I love it and it's super fun. Uh, and same thing. I love the, 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 it's a nice balance of success and failure. Um, you know, but it's more of like an adventure kind of a hunt, you know, uh, just like going to Alaska, you know, crossing the southern border and going to a Mexican ranch and, and spending a week down there. Um, you know, it's got that just like bigger adventure feel to it. And, uh, again, if you're pinning me to, to one or two species a year, it's, I'm probably just going to fall, fall back to the archery elk <laughs> or the turkey. So, Giannis, you've been
1: on um, all sides of everything, it seems like, from producing a TV show cameraman producer um Mm -hmm. you've also been on camera quite a bit it has always seemed to me that it's just be tremendously challenging to be the hunter when everything is filmed because it's not like you just have to be the smell of one you know or by yourself or whatever it seems like you have this whole crew with you that's trying to be quiet and discreet
2: uh you are correct It, it is challenging it's definitely harder to hide um you know both the scent and and the visual of you know sometimes our crew shooting a meter episode can be up to six uh people out there but to uh you know to produce some in my opinion some good quality you know television uh it's what it takes um you know you need a specific camera that's to cover each subject and uh we usually like to have a long lens as well that can you know um solely be focused on, uh, getting the wildlife footage, you know, and, and getting that, that subject in frame. Um, and then it's, it's great to have a, uh, you know, producer out there that's sort of, you know, picking up the, tying, tying up the loose ends and, um, you know, taking notes and, um, it, you know, a lot of people don't realize, you know, how much you, you, when that footage is all taken in that it has to be then organized and given to an editor in a, in a somewhat organized fashion with like a plan going into it. Because if an editor has to pick up, you know, footage from sev- a seven day hunt and he's got no direction whatsoever, um, they're going to have a really hard time sort of stringing the story together. Cause even though you think, Oh yeah, like we recorded everything that happened over the course of a week, uh, that's not necessarily going to be true. You know, you only recorded maybe real in reality an hour or two of every day. And, um, you know, so those notes are real important. So all those people play an important role. Um, but you're right. It, it is hard hard to hide that many people. You know, we've come up with, you know, systems and, t- and tactics that, that seem to work. For instance, like, you know, if you're hunting something that you're b- being able to spot and stalk, you know, once you start to s- stalk, you know, we usually drop the crew down to really whoever's going to be doing the hunting and the shooting and then one, one camera guy. And then hopefully the long lens can stay back and, you know, capture, you know, the animal from wherever they're at in that posi- at that time. Um, the one sort of upside from having that many, people with you is that uh you just have more eyes looking around. So again in like Western spot and stalk type hunting that you're doing a lot of glassing, whether it's coos deer or mule deer or something, when it's downtime and the, the photographers have done, you know, their work and knocked off their shot list for the scene, um, you know, a lot of times they're packing, you know, tens with them and sitting down and, and helping, you know, look for critters uh so that's often that that's nice you know and uh i'll, I'll like I, I think it's known but like I'll, I'll give everybody like a fun little tidbit is like if, if there's one thing that we recreate every so often because you just have to in meat eater is what we call a uh a um like a find you know or, or like a spot like recreate someone spotting an animal, because if Chris Gill spots it, <laughs> then myself or Steve or somebody are, are going to have to act like we spotted it. Because um, we uh, there's a thing called the fourth wall in making TV, and that comes from like if you're watching like a sitcom, right? Like there's where the audience is and where the cameras are, and you only ever see three walls of the room, right? If you right. just imagine your favorite sitcom, right? Um, friends for instance, right? You're looking at their living room. You kind of see that back. There's the door to the left, there's the back door that goes to the porch, and then there was like the door on the right that went to a bedroom. You never saw behind that where that kitchen was, right? You're only seeing those three walls, and they don't break that third or fourth wall, meaning that they don't really ever flip the camera and show you what's what's back there. We tend not to do that either, meaning that if Chris Gill spots an animal, we're not going to flip a camera and show you a camera guy spotting an animal. Um, and so that causes us to have to do, you know, a recreate when, so- when someone else spots something that we want to go after or, you know, investigate or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah. So does that answer your question about a bunch of people being no, do- out in the field with you?
1: <laughs> no, it does. And it does seem logical that, yeah, at the benefit is there's a lot more eyes. And I guess, yeah, like, like I never, I've never seen an episode where it's been like, well, hey, our cameraman just spotted this thing we're going to go after. You know, Mm -hmm. it's always Steve or someone, you know. Um, Now, you, correct me if I'm wrong, um, you started as a cameraman. Was that correct? I
2: started as, um, Meat Eater has a position called the WPA, which is an acronym for Wilderness Production Assistant. Uh, production assistants are, you know, on all productions across the world, but, uh, and I'm sure that they have some other version of WPA. We just, we think we coined that term, but um, a WPA is, is, is like a, a jack of all trades that, you know, depending on the shoot, depending on the hunt, your focus might be hauling around the heaviest pack with extra camera gear and um, I don't know, extra food and, you know, you know, you name it, you're like pack mule. You also might be, you know, tending to camp and helping, you know, get, even if it's just a backpacking hunt, you're helping, you know, just boil water and get everything ready for the crew because they're still shooting Steve and maybe the guests doing the same things, right? Setting up tents and having dinner or having a conversation. And so you're in the background, kind of getting camp ready for the, uh, the crew themselves. Um, and other times, you know, you're running the long lens as the WPA. So there's like a, a long list of things that a WPA has to do. Um, but that was my first, uh, position. And then, you know, as it's happened with a lot of people that have had that position, you, it's either, too hard and you just bail out of there or you you sort of knock it out and then you're like okay well what's next and then people go on to run cameras um you know if they have the the sort of eye to do that uh you go on to um produce you know like i did as well and um just kind of help organize and, and logistically kind of run the whole program and then uh and then in the end, it's it'll come down to, um, you know, working into like a director type role, too, where you're really helping the story along, making sure you're covering off on certain uh, beats, you know, about the uh, story or the, the, you know, the place that you're in, whether it could be like a historical beat or a some kind of a factual conservation beat or, you know, factual wildlife beat that you want Steve to cover off on. Um, but uh, that's where I started, was WPA.
1: So before that, though, weren't you a hunting guide, maybe?
2: Was that's that- correct. That's, that's correct. I worked for, you know, roughly a dozen, 15 years. Um, mostly all at a small outfit in um, outside of Yampa, Colorado, called Pack Country Outfitters, um, which I believe is still in business. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm sure that someone has that permit uh, in that Yampa area now, um, but uh, yeah, that's that's where I did most of my uh, elk guiding. I did a little bit of elk guiding in Arizona as well. Um, did a little bit of coos deer guiding down in Mexico. Um, that's pretty much it for the big game. A no, c- that a, 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 yeah. Go ahead.
1: No, the, uh, the transition, you know, because you basically seem to go from the WPA to, to director and on. I mean, was there, was there like some sort of studying or thinking or did you always think a lot about filming different stuff? Or was it just kind of a skill you developed on these various hunts?
2: Uh, I had an eye. I know that when I first started, you know, one of the things they liked was that I was able just to kind of fill fill the duties or perform the duties of the wilderness production assistant. Um, but then also, uh, you know, I could as soon as I was done working, I had my you know glasses to my eyes, and I would start finding game. Which, when you're filming a hunting TV show, you know, it's a really great thing to have is is people you know finding game. Um, so that, that was a huge benefit. And then, you know, so I had a little bit of an eye for like, I'd always like carried a camera, taking a lot of pictures. And so, you know, whatever, I can compose a a picture and and frame it nicely. Um, I had always like dabbled in a little bit of writing, whether it was on, uh, my blog or my buddy Jay Scott's blog that I did some writing for. Um, and so all of those skills and then plus I had spent, um, you know, I don't know, four or five years in restaurants and three of those years like in a kitchen. And, um, you know, meat eater, we do a lot of cooking. And so those skills came into play as well. But as far as like moving up the chain from production assistant to, you know, camera guy, producer, um, director, that really was all on-the-job training. And um, I was lucky to be working for – 0.0 production at the time and um you know a lot of talented and very experienced people at that company that were willing to uh take me under their wing and let me fail a few times and have some mess ups and still (laughs) let me keep trying some more and um so yeah it was definitely learn on the go learn on the job and just keep hustling and um you know hope they let uh give you the opportunity to do it again or keep doing it.
1: Well, that's awesome. Um, so, and from that, you kind of, I think you have a YouTube series now as well.
2: Correct. It's, um, called meat eater hunts with Giannis Patelis. I know it's a little confusing cause people are, it, uh, people are like, Oh, well it's Eater hunts on Netflix. And I'm like, no, That's on YouTube. But Meat Eater is still on Netflix. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's a (laughs) catch-22 because you want to keep using the Meat Eater name because people obviously know it and trust it, like it. So that helps. But at the same time, with as much as Steve and I have done together, it gets confusing for people because, you know, it's hard to differentiate. But, yes, I've been uh, producing now. We are um, producing In the Field Shooting Season 3. Um so there's uh I've got uh, like a bear hunt with Clay Newcomb in Montana. I've got a uh turkey hunt with my buddy Jimmy Miller in Wisconsin. Um we did a mountain lion uh study with Bart George in Washington, which is super interesting. Um and then uh yeah, doing some archery elk hunting coming up here next week with Jason Phelps. Uh, I've got a white deer hunt in Wisconsin planned. Uh, and then, uh, one more episode, which will round out season three and then, uh, yeah, next year we'll start see, uh, filming for season four.
1: Well, that's, uh, that's, uh, pretty awesome. I mean, the meat eater brand has such a, such a big recognition. I remember, I think a year ago, I was talking to a friend of mine in Dallas who doesn't hunt and stuff like that. And I was making dinner. And I think I was cooking something a certain way. And just out of the blue, he's like, Oh man, I saw them do that on Meat Eater. That's awesome. I love that show. <laughs> and I was and I was just like, Wow, okay. I mean you're you're I I mean, it's not like he's a vegan or anti hunter or anything, but he's just not not a hunter, you know what I mean? And then yep. he started talking to me you know, because he decided that he wanted to get a gun and start to learn to hunt and stuff like that. Um, So your guys' influence, I think you guys have caused a a lot of people that probably weren't hunters to, but weren't anti-hunting, but just to look at hunting a little bit differently and start to think like, wow, I think I should get into hunting as well. I think you've caused a lot of recruitment there
2: that's good. Um, according to the numbers, I know that all, everybody wants to say, well, it ain't like this in my woods, but you know, according to the numbers, you know, we do need more, more hunters. And like I always say, we don't necessarily need more hunters, but we definitely need more non hunters to be pro hunting. And, um, you know, if we can do that with the content that we produce and that's, you know, absolutely wonderful. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's always a surprise to me and a, and a very like uplifting, um, thing to hear when, when, when a non hunters like, Oh yeah, I've watched meat eater. It's, that's a great show, man. Love it. You know? And, um, hopefully those people are telling more non-hunters and, and, um, spreading the, spreading the good word, you know, that, that is hunting.
1: Right, like I think, I think for whatever reason they find it, uh, they really admire the process of it, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, you know, and it's kind of like that documentary Steve did. You know, there, there's, there are some, some stereotypes of hunting that, aren't, that are not really true, but they're relatively negative connotations that a lot of the anti-hunting community Likes to throw around and propagate online and stuff. So what about <clears throat> you guys have gotten a ton bigger over the last 10 seasons or 11 seasons? Or mm-hmm. how long have you got? How long? Um, You've gotten big enough that now I start seeing flack about you guys.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, oh, they're just big corporate Hollywood now, you know, doing, you know,
2: you know, what's your thoughts on that? (laughs) I, you know, I really don't think about it too much. I mean, I think when, when, if anybody does bring it up, I think someone in a, you know, in in one of our leadership positions will say, you know what, that's, what's going to happen. When you get big and popular and and you're the, if you are on top of the, if you're the king of the hill or top of the heap, whatever you want to call it, people are going to try to knock you down, knock you off. And, um, it's just, yeah, it's something you got to deal with. You know, it's the same thing with like reading Instagram comments, right? It's like, there's always going to be some trolls and there's going to be some negativity and, uh. You know, I believe in my heart that we're doing a good thing in general. Um, yes, we are a company that, you know, needs to grow and profit and, and make money. But I think that uh, we, uh, you know, that's not the sole focus here. Um, there's a, a lot of good, there's a, all, all that is done with the intention that, like, cause like, a, a greater change or just a greater movement you know that's and, and it's all positive and whether that's getting more people outdoors or getting more people connected to nature um you know it's hopefully it all has a positive effect you know on whether it's public lands wildlife whatever it is you know when, if people you know go to the polls and they vote and they vote in a pro wildlife or pro-public lands manner because of what we've done, then that's a win. Or if it's because they get to enjoy more public lands because of like our land access initiative that we were working on, you know, two years ago, I believe we helped out. It wasn't solely our deal, but we helped um, secure access to this piece of public property in Maine called the Shiloh Pond. If you just Google Mm -hmm. Shiloh Pond, you can read all about it. And so this year, now we're continuing with that. We don't have like the project picked out yet, but Steve came up with this. I believe it was Steve came out came up with this idea of the Meat Eater um, Auction House of Oddities, or uh, yeah, believe I can't remember how he says it. Oddity, <laughs> yeah, House of Auctions or Auction House of Oddities. That's what it is. Auction House of Oddities, and basically we're gonna have all kinds of crazy stuff in there. There's like well, I say crazy. There's like the tail of the first pheasant I ever shot is in there, and I don't know. Someone might <laughs> want to buy it for five bucks, and somebody might want to spend five hundred on it. Um, there's a big like season ten gear package of like gear that uh, that Steve and myself and Clay Newcomb actually used during the filming of season ten. There's binocular harnesses and backpacks. Um, that stuff's going to be auctioned off on there. Uh, trying to think what else, uh, our buddy, Luke Combs, the country singer, he donated a signed guitar that he actually played shows with to the, um, auction house of oddities. And so that's the next iteration of this. And so all the money that we, you know, uh, can collect through that, it's going to go again to this, um, land access initiative that'll hopefully, uh, you know, not only open up but you know, protect perpetuity. you know, at least the access to, you know, some kind of public land that isn't accessible to the public now. Um so again, but to to bring it back around to your original question is like about the flack that we hear. Yeah, it's out there. And I think as a big successful company or whether it's big successful uh individuals you're like you're always going to have it and it's going to be part of the deal and you can either handle it and choose how you react to it or you can let it get to you and bring it down in which case, you know, you probably shouldn't be in the business or, or be uh, trying to striving for the top. Cause um, I'd imagine that if you were uh, like the sole owner of the number one spot of, you know, the best lightweight backpacking tents, People are probably going to try to knock you off that pedestal, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I know. I know. I know how it goes. And, yeah, I mean there's all these sayings like it can be lonely at the top. It can be this, you know. Um, and, yeah, there, there is. It seems like once you become the established leader, all of a sudden you find out you have a lot more haters than you thought you did.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You yeah know. and it's like whatever haters gonna hate you know and i mean all yeah. of us that you know you can get all of us can get twisted up enough to uh, uh, at some point you know you you're a hater you know i don't think there's anybody can truthfully say that in your life you've never ever been a hater even for a, a small moment right like you just emotions you know get to people and, and and that's what happens but uh i try to remind myself all the time man that there's just there's not enough time. In my life left to spend time you know being negative, hating whatever you know um I'm trying to have a good time here in my in in you know the latter half or so of life, and uh I got no time for that, you know, whether it's reading you know shitty comments or making shitty comments
1: right, right, at some point, you just fo- focus your energies on on what you think is the right path to go and if people want to hate and criticize, well, let them hate and criticize, and if it's something you need to maybe respond to or have a retort, then you do it in a politeful way, but it's not worth spending a lot of energy i just I just think as an observer, I think it's like you know five years ago it's like, oh meat eaters, are so awesome, awesome now you start seeing the haters come around like <laughs> oh." More private land hunting with stars. Oh, what it would be nice like to be, or whatever, you know. And it's like these sure, guys, sure, you know.
2: And, and yeah. look, there's, there's, you know, I've been hunting private land my whole life. <laughs> All of my whitetail hunting, almost of, of my whole, you know, life that I've been a whitetail hunter has been mostly on private land. Cause in the Midwest, like, sure, now, now through like the hunting public, people are like, oh my gosh, there's public land in the Midwest too. I didn't know about public land hunting opportunities really growing up because it just, it wasn't even like offered to me, right? Like we had places to hunt that were private and that's just how I thought that it went. And um, I don't see anything anything wrong with it. And uh, sure, do we get to like opportunities to go hunt some uh, private places? Yeah. But I can tell you last year, had we stayed on the private ranch that we got access to to hunt during Colorado's archery season, we wouldn't have killed anything. We left the ranch and went and hunted public, um, and went higher in elevation. We we were probably at eight or something uh, at the ranch, and we went and drove up to you know ten, and then hunted ten to eleven, and uh, that's where we had all of our action. You know, and um, I killed a bull, and Jason Phelps almost got a shot at a bull. Um, so, <laughs> just, you just know, you get in, invited to a big, big private ranch, it doesn't mean that there's uh, going to be meat hanging on the meat pole in a couple of days. That's kind of
1: funny because, I mean, I grew up in Midwest farmland as well. And everything that I hunted was on private land of some sort. But it was like when I grew up, I knew within like two square miles of me, everyone knew who I was because I grew up real rural. And. Mm-hmm. I pretty much had hunting access to all of it. I would grab my shotgun and just go out hunting small game, you know, and stuff. And it wasn't a big deal. But now everyone, you know, it seems to be a different world. And I can't imagine that I could, from the same property, just walk out the door with my shotgun and start trouncing around in the woodlands and through the fields and not have people calling probably the cops or something on me. Yeah. Um, so, as the TV perspective, um, I think that's kind of funny that you mentioned that you went to public land to go kill something right from your private ranch. Mm-hmm. I remember a conversation I had early on when Seek Outside was eh, three years, four years old, or something like that. It was a TV show, and they were on maybe the Pursuit Channel. I think. Mm -hmm. And they wanted us, they were, they had bought some gear from us. They were using it and they contacted us like, Hey, would you guys like to sponsor our show? You know, we've been using your show. It's in various episodes and all this stuff. Right. And I went and watched their show and I was like, well, you guys are almost all just private land ranch hunting. Right. And that isn't really our, thing, you know, we're making gear for on your back public land kind of hunts and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I kind of politely declined, but they told me they were like, "Well, there's a reason. We wish we could do the public land hunts, but it's so much harder to find success on public land versus <laughs> these these ranches and we have to have a kill shot because they won't buy episodes if there's not a kill shot." So, Uh you know, otherwise we could go out on an elk hunt. We might have a great time for seven or 10 days, but we might not come back with anything. And we paid a camera crew and all this stuff. So I think the fact that you guys have really changed that to much more of a public land. and, And you guys have pretty darn good
0: success on public land as well. Watching hunting TV shows now is like it used to be all like, you know, the like... Just ten giant bulls getting taken you know in like a 45 minute time frame. there was no story buildup. it was just straight to the kill shot now it's like every TV show that you have, like the the kill shot is probably one of the smallest parts of it and I think you guys have done a great job in, in kind of switching that narrative, which I think is a very beneficial part to every hunter, just because you know there there used to be a I think the stigma is kind of changing now, but there used to be the, the whole stigma of, you know, they, they just want to kill stuff. And, um, but I think you guys at Meteor have done a great job of, of kind of representing the majority of hunters and what they're about. So I definitely, just from my perspective, I, I'm very thankful for what you guys have done for the hunting community for sure.
2: Yeah. Well, and again, you know, as always, thank you for the kind words. We we hear this a lot. And what's interesting is that, you know, when Steve had the uh, concept for the show, you know, he, he wasn't like setting forth to sort of make these changes. He basically was like, well, I'm just going to do my version of what I think a, a hunting show should be. You know, and again, he had a lot of help from the people at 0.0 to... um have a vision and then, you know, plan the work and work the plan. And when I came on, you know, it just, just like it would have for you, it was like, it very much fit into sort of like the hunting that I had been a part of growing up and the hunting that I was doing on my own at the time. And I had just fallen in with the the right crew of people when I was guiding in Colorado that butchered their own meat. And so I'd started doing that and I wasn't taking my meat to the processor I was just like more involved in that process. And it wasn't like, nobody was saying like, Oh, we should like bring this to the forefront because it's cool or we need to make a change. It was just sort of like, that's what it was for us. And so we included it and it turns out like you're saying, Oh man, the majority of people are into this and doing it themselves and, and they want to see more of it. Um, and, uh, So, yeah, I mean, it was definitely just kind of fortuitous, right, that those two things aligned, that what we chose to show and talk about um, was uh, there was a demand for it that probably nobody really knew was there. It, it It was, you know, underlying. But as soon as we started doing it, people were like, oh, yeah, give me more of that.
1: Yeah, I remember talking to Randy at SHOT Show. Um, one time and Randy said that they told him that his show was an absolutely bad idea and that it would never be successful.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And that dude's probably got 20 seasons of his show now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So what do you guys see in the future? Is
2: that something you can divulge? Like, Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Man, uh, I can tell you that there's a lot more content in the future coming down the pipe. And, uh, I think that, uh, you're going to see like a broader range of content, you know, and, and us expanding into spaces within hunting and even outside of, you know, hunting, you know, including angling and, um, you know, even other spaces outside of that, you know, whether it's, uh... You know, I don't want to say foraging, you know, it seems like such like a, you know, small hole, a hole to, you know, put people into. But, you know, just like, even though if you're not a hunter or an angler, you can still be a um, a part of of like the, um, like be a participant in nature and, and, and be a consumptive user of nature in, in other ways. Um, and so, you know, I think we're going to, there's going to be some content around that. Um, and just probably just general lifestyle content, you know, around, you know, the lives that, you know, the three of us probably live pretty similar lifestyles. But I think that, you know, in our little circles, we think it's pretty normal. Everybody's got chickens and everybody lives semi-rural or, or whatever, but, and have gardens, but there's a huge part of the population that, um, looks at that as, Um, something you know big and crazy and and out of their world and they're interested in it and maybe they want to get into it um and so uh yeah i think we'll hopefully we'll fill that niche too um yeah otherwise just yeah more of the same you know uh there's more books coming down the, the pipe and podcasts and um you know content 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 and uh we try to do a a lot of it and uh try things and if it doesn't work you know move on but um yeah that's a that's about as probably as much i can as as much as i can say without uh without giving up any uh, too many details hey foraging's hunting
1: i mean i don't say hey i'm gonna go forage some mushrooms (laughs) i say i'm gonna go hunt
2: for mushrooms (laughs) that's true that's true
0: yeah. Hey, Giannis, um, I, I, got, I got two things here. I don't want to take up too much more of your time here, but um, oh, I got two problem. things. So first off, I just got to give a shout-out to my boy Riley here um, because we were just on an archery elk hunt last week, and uh, he showed up to camp wearing the Latvian Eagle T-shirt. So I told him that oh. we were going to be doing this podcast, so I said I'd, uh, I'd give him a little shout-out here. Um, hey, and then the next thing up? is – Uh, depends on, you know, what you, what you, uh, (laughs) what you consider luck. I mean, we, we got into elk, we, we heard them bugling and we, we called a few in, but you know, hunting with a, with a stick and string, you got to have every little thing go right. So, um, but it was, it was a blast. It was, it was really fun. Um, which brings me to my next point. When are you guys at meat eater? I know you got something going right now called fucked up old deer stands. My question is, (laughs) I think I think you guys got to make something uh, that's maybe a little bit more niche and you won't get as many submissions, but it could be like a a rarer thing. Um, Fucked up old elk stands, because (laughs) here in Colorado, I have seen just the craziest old elk stands, you know, six, seven miles deep. Uh, You guys have any plans on a sequel there? (laughs) You ever, <laughs> no? have you ever seen anything like that you know i've seen like probably most commonly
2: in the elk woods like a milk crate that someone brought in to sit on or maybe even like a folding chair that was packed in a little bit farther than you know you thought it should be uh packed in but i can't say that like that's not true i guess where we hunted when i was a guide we did have a we had a small little meadow that was called the tree stand meadow because there was like a, you know, very old, like eighties, 1980s, you know, home built, you know, just out of two by fours and some plywood uh, tree stand in there. Um, I think that was just before people really had like, you know, what we think of now is just like general elk tactics. You know, they were kind of trying everything. Yeah. And there was probably a lot of whitetail hunters that were, coming out west to hunt elk and they're just you know doing their white tail tactics um and certainly hunting hunting elk out of a tree stand uh can be deadly but uh, i think that for me at least the reason i love it so much is because you get to run and gun you know and it's it's fun to be moving around and and hunting them on their own level uh so no i can't say that we have that (laughs) because i haven't seen enough of them i think if we had seen enough um, so maybe you can kick, kick it off. You can just, you know, send I'll, some pictures the of, of the ones that you found to uh meat eater at the meat eater and uh, just put it, put in the subject line, fucked up old elk stands and we'll see what happens.
1: I know of two or three around me.
2: Okay. Hey, <laughs> so yeah, maybe we're, we're going to
0: start this whole thing. Yeah. We're going to, I'm just always shocked at how far people will carry, you know, 10 two by fours into the woods. It's crazy.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, if they think it's, if they think it's going to pay off in a dead elk, I think, yeah, they're going to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, right on, man. Uh, Kevin, you got anything else
1: for Giannis? No, I don't. I just want to uh, say thank you and, uh, for joining our podcast and, uh, chatting, uh, telling us a bit about what's going on in Meat Eater, telling us about your sheep hunt. So thanks a bunch.
2: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for uh, making some great uh, tents and tarps that I like to use so much. to keep me uh, warm and toasty when the, uh, especially when the, when the temperatures drop. Um, I, I I enjoy those products
0: a lot.